Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, innovators, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship with my guests. Today's guest works with people and helps them to perform. As a former operational performance specialist of McLaren, he is an expert in driving performance. We talk about his experience learning from the innovation and performance in motorsport and the importance of the human. Please welcome to the show. Paul Teasdale. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jens. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward. Yeah, Great that we made it. And yeah, sorry for the confusion with moving dates. For everyone listening to this, I needed to move things a lot around a little bit. So we're recording this way later in the day than planned. But that's how it is sometimes with entrepreneurs. Exactly. That's life. That's life. Customers first and then podcasts. <laughs> okay let's get into it before we go into of course mclaren formula one innovation leadership people all the topics you worked and have worked with tell us a little bit about yourself who are you and how did you get to where you are today well uh, i guess i'm a um, i'm a people person I, I help people perform and that's the the sort of thing when i've reflected over my time in my career it's all been in some way or other about helping others uh, helping others perform helping them be their best and get the results that they need but a very a sort of varied career should we say um everything from uh, making sausages fixing airplane engine parts uh in banking i've been in food manufacturing all sorts of bits and pieces like that so um but it all stems from my um my time as an engineer so i an engineer by trade um, and I took that manufacturing methodology and the improvement uh, frameworks that came out of that and started to apply that to some of the roles that, uh, that I went into and had various different uh, exciting roles in my early stages. Uh, learned a lot from what was my second job um, uh, as a production manager in a sausage factory. Had a, a, you know, a massive team of uh, you know, 50, 60 people over a few shifts um, as a young manager um, learning a lot in terms of how to manage people and how they manage you um, and how to get the best out of a team, um, particularly in the, the hard times. Um, and then I made a couple of moves. I, I worked in a shipping um, uh, container business for a while, uh, helping them to improve their invoicing systems and, and uh, how they worked with their customers to standardize some of their processes. Uh, before embarking into the world of consultancy. So I, I joined a, a team, a bit of a boutique consultancy, primarily working in food manufacturing and worked with them for five years, uh, living on the road, 
leaving at 4 a.m. on a Monday and uh, living in some wonderful hotels across the across the UK and, and beyond. Um, and and then coming home on a Friday evening and, uh, and spending the, the weekend living at large. Um, so I yeah, did that for five <laughs> years and uh, and realized it wasn't sustainable um, uh, for me at that time in my life and uh, made the, the decision, me and the, me and the soon-to-be wife at that point, um, to take a, a bit of a move and moved out to New Zealand. So I uh, managed to land myself a job with a, a big dairy company out there uh, moved out to New Zealand to um, to work in a more corporate environment, um, helping people to um, uh, set up and manage their processes to um, uh, deliver the best way of moving the milk around. That was a, you know the big, those big decisions as to what do I make this milk into? Do I make it in cheese into milk powder in a way and, and a very complex uh, setup with a multi-billion dollar business. Uh, but working with some absolutely great people um, and having a great time in New Zealand um, before uh, sort of going through a redundancy process and finding myself with a wife who was uh, eight months pregnant, I believe, at the time, um, looking for a new job um, and finding my way into banking and uh, having a, an interesting role helping um, business banking in one of the bigger banks in New Zealand to take a fresh look at how they manage their performance, how they understand how they perform and how they um, look to uh, use their metrics to drive better behaviours. How do, how do you focus people to drive performance in a way that is more ethical, uh, more um, aligned to some of the uh, processes that need to be followed and should be followed from an, an ethics perspective as well? Um, and had a great time doing that. Ne- never been in banking before, but it was great to take um, a view of how would I uh, view this if I was in this bank and if I was making sausages instead of loans, if I was, <laughs> if I was uh, making packs of, uh, of bacon in, instead of a, a mortgage or a home loan, you know, how would I how would I view that? How would I measure it? How would I manage it? And, and so that was a, a great way of trying to bring some different thinking to people and to influence them in, in that way. Um, and from there, um, I decided to move back to the UK uh, at that time with a, a young little Kiwi boy in, in our midst as well. Um, but for family reasons, we thought we'd come back to the UK. And I was really lucky enough uh, to have a contact who worked um, within the McLaren team. So McLaren best known for their um, Formula One racing and also their road cars. But there was a third arm of that business uh, called Applied Technologies that took a lot of the methodologies and frameworks of how do you uh, innovate, how do you take performance and the views of performance from a really high-performing elite motorsport world and take those to business. You know, so we were working with some of the big four uh, um, consultancies to take that to scale and to take really innovative uh, ways of looking at how do I uh, make better decisions was probably the, the common theme throughout that. So I was uh, leading up the, the people side of that. How do I um, understand the challenges that people have? How do I understand and, and frame the performance they're trying to drive? And what are the uh, the things that need to be taken into account when you're talking about building a proof of concept in a world, that, in something that's never been done before in that space, um, testing it out, getting that feedback, making sure it fits in with their current processes or amending their processes accordingly. Um, and in the same time, building this 
sometimes just unbelievable technology um, based on simulation and, uh, and detailed analytics um, and bringing it into whole new worlds. You know, everything from oil and gas drilling through to um, managing airports and airport operations. Uh, we did some great work with uh, food and drink manufacturers as well. So loads of different variation. My first project was uh, often joke with people. I was enticed back from New Zealand, living next to the beach and living the life of Riley over there to um, to move to Woking, which isn't the most exciting place in, uh, in the UK, and to uh, work on shelf stacking for supermarkets. how do you uh how do you make better decisions for shelf stacking um and uh interesting you know when you think it's a a boring topic or something you wouldn't even think of but it was costing the business we were working with a billion pounds a year so uh an estimated um sort of waste in that of uh, about 30 percent of that effort was uh, was wasted so you know making small changes in better decisions can have a, a, a huge impact on businesses like that and so I was lucky enough to work with for McLaren for a number of years. Beautiful environment. I, I lived just down the road from McLaren Technology Center. Uh, I used to cycle to work and go into their wonderful offices. It's a, a great place. You can um, look at it on Google Maps and actually have a, a walk through there. It's a fantastic place. They've got all the cars and all, uh, everything in, in play to, to really be visually impressive and to inspire uh, change and, and to inspire innovation. Um, and uh, worked there for a number of years, and, and more recently, I've been going out on my own, um, making the move to try and take my knowledge and my experience out to people, and uh, and to take that performance-based approach, and um, and help people perform. That's where I am now. Interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the the the, the sausage part. But one thing you mentioned, which I think it was in the sausage factory, you said, as as a leader, you learn to manage, but also how they managed me. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I came in as a, um, I wasn't young at the time, I, I, I was a little bit older when I started university and did a, uh, a four-year course as well. So by the time I, I got around to this particular business, it was, I was sort of 24, 25 but still very wet behind the ears and didn't have a lot of management experience. And I had I had did the classic mistake of thinking, right, I know all of the methodology, I know all of the uh, uh, the theory behind what should be done. And one of the first jobs that I had, I was managing a team of what we call meat prep guys. Um, and it was a, a team of, of guys who um, had all been there, had been butchers over the years uh, in the days when they would literally bring the pigs in one end and the sausages would come out the other. Mm. Um, but these days they would, um, they'd actually mix that, uh, the recipes up and bring the spices in and do all the chopping. Highly experienced, uh, you know, really knew what they were doing. And I took it upon myself to see if I could make it, make them more productive by amending their shift patterns and amending their breaks uh, and came up with some great ideas to, uh, and said, right, sat them down, said, right, I've got some great ideas as to how we're going to be more productive. You're going to have uh, different breaks and different people are going to go on, on on breaks at different times, and this is what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot about how not to manage change. <laughs> 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 yeah, and they certainly managed me back, shall we say. Uh, yeah, it's a very insightful time for me. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> But I think that's 
looking back, maybe that was the best thing that could happen to you because having this early on that you face resistance and get taught by very, very experienced people inside of a work environment, they might help or might have helped you to understand, hey, leadership is something different than changing shift time and demanding what, what people should be doing. Definitely. And definitely um, learning the importance of being humble and the importance of knowing what you know and what you don't know yeah. um, and the value that people can add, you know, just um, you know, making assumptions based on where you see people at the time and the roles that they're doing. And um, yeah, I, I was guilty of making the assumption that these guys didn't want to perform. And that was, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. And, uh, and they, after conversations like that, and we talked about, you know, I think one of the best things I, I did in those days was I held my hand up and said, look, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I was trying to be yeah. the big guy on campus and uh, and, and I, I got it wrong. So what can we do to, to get this back? And uh, yeah, we, we came up with some great ideas, made some changes and got the performance up where we needed to. Yeah, I think this this humility is very important to you, specifically with senior uh, people in inside the work, workforce. I mean, it's important with all But being able to say, hey, sorry, I'm wrong, is not usual, at least in my experience. Not all managers would be up for saying, yeah, sorry, was was a mistake on my end. Yeah. And and also, I don't know. You know I, mm, exactly. I've, I've seen a lot and I've talked to a lot of people over the years, particularly in the, the COVID days of um, you know, lots of leaders having to be humble or realizing the value of being humble when you know, you're in such uncertain uncertain circumstances. Just saying, I don't know how we're going to get through this. All I know is if we work together, we will. And and so I'm relying on you. I will do what you need me to do. But, you know, I, I don't have the answers right. because the answers have never been there before. And that's the beauty of the, the innovative space, no matter what you're looking at. Recognizing you don't have the answers is that uh, frees up the mind quite a bit. Yeah. To, to that point, I have worked with, young people who started out in the, in the working environment and they said, I need to know everything to be able to get a manager position. What, what is your perspective on that? Um, in terms of, I, would, I need to know everything technical. Is that where you're coming from? Yeah. I need yeah. to know all the bits of, of this role. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of value in um, knowing how not to get the wool pulled over your eyes. Um, I've worked in other environments. Uh, I did a year out before university and uh, in a, a research establishment. And uh, I saw firsthand how people would play the system and play their managers. Um, yeah. You know, examples sort of being, you know, how many tests, how many of these tests can you do in a day? Oh, I can do four. But if, you know, if, if you really want me to, and I really work my lunches and I do this, I could do five in a day. You know, I'll be, I'll, I'll really push this one for you. You know, I'll, I'll do five today. Um, and knowing for a fact that they could easily do five in the morning and five in the afternoon, but because <laughs> the managers didn't pay enough attention and mm. didn't didn't understand that, not necessarily the detail of how they did the role, but care enough about going, you know, the, the classic go to Gemba sort of view and actually go and spend some time. Show me how you do this. Not because I want to know exactly how to do it, but I want to know, I want to see it. I want to experience it so that I know the context of what you're doing. I know yeah. how you're trying to perform your role. And therefore, I can, one, I can 
ask some questions. I think that's the, the, one of the key roles of any managers to ask the questions. Um, and, you know, two, I can offer my support. You know, I might have seen things that uh, elsewhere that can be applicable. I might might be able to do something and bring some new tools and techniques in uh, that make a difference to what you're doing. But if you just assume off the back of uh, what people tell you, it's the classic, uh, yeah, they will, uh, they will pull the wool over your eyes, should we say. <laughs> yeah. I like this very much, and some companies do that. Um, for the listeners, they, they know this. Um, I'm grown up in IKEA from a very junior leadership role to a, a senior leadership role inside of the total organization. And one thing at that time was when you start, you should start in an, in a store so that you understand the business, and then you can grow. Similar to what, at least what I've heard in inside of McDonald's, they have these leadership programs where you need to start and flipping burgers for a couple of weeks or even months until you get into into the management role. Mm. I think that's definitely something I believe in because you get so different perspective of the business and you can talk the company language in a different way than just, hey, I'm coming from the side, starting at the top somewhere, and you think you, you know everything because you may be experienced, but in the end you don't no. because you haven't been there. No matter what you've experienced, it's been in a different context. You know, yeah. it's been in a different environment with a different culture, and you have to take that into account and take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah. So you said you help people to manage to perform. And in all different roles you have managed, at least from New Zealand onwards, the, the word performance was part of your job description, mm. at least, maybe not job title. How, how was that and how did that get a uh, red thread in your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always been, um, I've had consultant as, as a job title. I've had, um, uh, I've had some beauties in my time. Operational excellence lead facilitator was a, a, a great <laughs> one. And um, you know, the sort of roles that you, um, the titles that you say, and then you have to explain, well, what does that actually mean? <laughs> uh, uh. You know, in my time at McLaren, I was an operational performance specialist. Um, so yeah, they're great titles, and they, they have their their position uh, or their role to understand your position, particularly within the business. But often with with clients, you need to uh, need to explain what that actually means and what it means to them in the, in this case. Um, but I've I've been lucky enough to work with a few people and, and a couple of people who've coached me and helped me reflect and give me some tools and techniques for understanding and looking back on my journey to where I am now. And um, one of the things that I've been encouraged to do is like, what are some of the themes? What are some of the themes that you've you've come up with there? Um, one of them, um, I often talk about being, certainly in my earlier roles, about being a translator. I, I play a, a translation role between um, a team. So if I go back to the time in the shipping container business, for instance, I worked with the people um, who were on the phones organizing where these containers would go to and from, organizing how, how much people would pay for them uh you know it's a very complex setup so you know they, they done for themselves and we were trying to help work with the um technology systems to build slightly you know to improve their, their technology to help them to do these things better and to to um, make sure that we got the invoicing right and i i could speak enough of the operations to understand what they were doing and enough of the geek <laughs> to understand <laughs> what that meant 
Um, and because what I found was you get the people in the room say, I, I want, you know, you'd have the typical user story as a, you know, that I, I want to be able to do this. And the technical people or the highly technical people would be, well, tell me what you want, you know, what screen needs to change and what resolution and what size, you know. And so it'd be that um, moving from the user story to the system requirements. And that mm -hmm. translation role was one that I've, I've played throughout. Um, and more, the other side of it was the performance. You know, it's all been about why are you doing this? What are you, if you're doing a coaching role, if you're doing a, um, an, an agile methodology, you know, you're bringing that into play, you're building a new proof of concept for technology. Why are you doing all of this? And it all came down to, to help performance in whatever that meant at the time. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not just about financial performance. It's that multifaceted and some of the insights I got from the, the McLaren team, you know, it's, it, it seems very simple performance. You know, you go fast, you win races. Um, but you go fast, you can go fast on one lap and not win a race. And, and, and one of the first things that always says you have you have to cross the finish line to win the race. So don't forget that you've got to get to the end before you can win the race. Um, but also, you know, you could go fast and then you could crash. That's one thing. You could go fast and then the engine loses power. So you later on you have to you have to go slow and you get overtaken. You can go fast and make poor decisions about when to pit, etc. Um, so it's not just a simple one-to-one -one ratio. It's a quite, quite a complex thing. And also, you can go fast in one race and win one race. You might have blown your engine and blown your chances for the next race and set up your car in such a way that can definitely win this race, but it can't do anything else for the rest of the season. How do you look at performance not only in the moment, but also from a strategic perspective as well? You've got to be able to layer that up in terms of what that means um, and also how you perform that was again going back to those banking days. You know, you can you can have lots of money being lent. You can have lots of um, uh, cash flowing through the system. Uh, but if first day if that's not profitable, that's one one thing that's not that great for the bank. But also if it's not ethical, then you know you, you might be doing things for the wrong reason, giving people loans that they can't afford or, or don't need. Mm. Um, so you know that that's another area of performance and one that I'm particularly interested in as well from the how do you get people to do the right thing as well as the profitable thing? Yeah. How do you link this then to to the human factor? And well, I've said um, at, the, at the start that people drive performance. You know, mm. So it's like one of the when I work with clients, what I tend to do is I'll, I'll start with. Although it starts with people in terms of performance, my conversations always start with performance. Yeah. What's the performance you're trying to drive? You know, what's the what are the results you want from this? What are you trying to achieve? And then the second layer is what are the things you can do? What are the levers that you've got in your business to push and pull? So if you if you can um, you know you can up production rates, you can um, you you can push make different decisions in terms of how you move your aircraft around um, an airport. Um, and it, understanding, right, those are the things that I can that can be done in order to impact performance. Now I need to go down to the people mm. piece because that's the, the the time people come into it when they're particularly when they're making decisions and putting things into action. How do I get people to make better decisions? And in order to do that, you really have to understand the people. You have to understand what their motivations are. You need to understand 
um, how they're set up, how their teams interact, what are the dynamics, what are the cultures, mm. how are they measured is a, a, always been a, an interest uh, of mine. How you measure people really drives performance, uh, drives behavior, sorry. Um, and that can really have an impact on the performance that you drive. Mm. Um, and once you get that, uh, the people in place, you can start to think about the supporting elements. So what's the, what are the information and insights that they need to make better decisions? And then finally, what's the data that you need to um, to develop those insights into actionable insights? You know? And that's the one of the big lessons that I learned in the McLaren days, actually, was um, for a business that is so data intensive, you, know, it, you, you will struggle, if not maybe impossible, to come across an industry that has such depth and such... Um, intensity of data and analytics and such maturity in terms of the um, some of the simulation models and the uh, predictive analytics stuff they can do. And when we've taken that to businesses, a lot of the, uh, the people that I worked with would come to us and say, oh, you know, we've just spent 10 million euro on a new production site. We've got all this data. Just, you know, we've, we've uh, made everything digital. We've got servo motors here. We've got this, the... That, but we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and, yeah. and when we went through, and, and that was a very much a big data approach, if we've got enough data, the results will come. Um, or if we've got enough data, we'll be able to sort of somehow magically see some patterns in there and make better decisions. And, and the great insight from the McLaren days is that, yes, data can help you perform and help your car go faster, et cetera, but it comes at a cost. And in the in the world of F1, that cost is weight, and, and weight slows your car down. So it's actually detrimental to performance. You need to move away from this view of big data to small data, and particularly the smallest actionable insights that you can get. What's the least amount of data that I can get at that time in order to help me make the best decisions at that time to enact something that I can do about it in that time that drives performance. Um, and that's the, uh, it, that was a, a, I remember sitting down with a, um, uh, I think it was a CTO or COO of a, a major drinks manufacturer. We we're talking about this um, uh, very problem. Oh, we've got, we invest in this data. We've got all this. And I talked through this way of thinking about things and you could just see like both the, Oh my god! And then realizing how much they've just spent on all of this yeah. data that they probably won't have anything to do with. So, and, and that's a, an area that I've, um, I've, you know, I'm definitely keen to to work with people uh, on as well. It, those early stages, you know, how do you before you go off and invest? How do you, you know, talk to somebody who can challenge your thinking a little bit? You know, if you're spending that amount of money, um, or it doesn't have to be in the tens of millions, it can be significant for for your business or, or for yeah. you personally. Um, get challenged on it and uh, and make sure you've got the right decision. It's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at things. I it, I was reflecting on this with my wife the other day. We um, when we lived in London many years ago before we moved to New Zealand, we um, we thought we were saving money by getting a cheap laminate floor to cut to um, to get our, uh, our little one bedroom house uh, refloored. And when we talked, we got somebody in who's a carpenter and became a really good friend off the back of this. And uh, uh, and he's like, you should have talked to me first. 
the same money in terms of the labor it takes to put this in play, you know, to actually lay this down. Mm. It, it's a complicated thing to put together. It's, you know, it'll take me a lot of time and a lot of effort to do that. In the same amount of time, I could have fitted something that would be, you know, hardwood, really good quality, and you'd have had a much better result, a much better uh, setup for the same amount of money if you'd have talked to me first. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a, an interesting model that um, to think about when you are looking to invest in in anything. Really, is how do you just challenge yourself or be challenged by others uh, before you start to to really uh, open up those purse strings? Yeah, and this what I like about this approach is understanding the necessity and uh, the necessity. That's right. The, the important data. <laughs> 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 the port, the 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 data that are really necess necessary to take decisions. Yeah. Because yeah, so I, I I see I see this as well in big and small companies like you like you mentioned is everyone thinks about big data and yes we know need to in the end it, it's one or two data points that help you to take most of the decisions mm. in yeah. specific areas and then combining them with, with others. And the other angle of this that I've come across a fair bit as well is that a lot of the innovation projects are, or things that are seen to be innovation projects are essentially technology projects where some you know, there is a new bit of tech that comes in and it will do the, all this shiny, shiny stuff for us. <laughs> and that it's often driven by um, the CTO or, or, or the technology arm of the business. Um, and they're like, we need to get this in. It's really important for our business. And you know, technology teams are, are brilliant at what they do. Um, in fact, one of the things I, when I first came into McLaren, um, I was talking to my, to my boss about this and I was like, you know, you, you've got all these people doing things right. You've got the, the great thing about McLaren, it's an environment of high performance all, all over. Mm. Particularly the modeling and simulation people would do a great job of getting the model as accurate and as right as they possibly could. Um, going into the physics and the dynamics and all this great stuff. But they weren't necessarily doing the right thing hmm. or focusing on the right problem because the right problem could have been something really simple that would help drive performance. Hmm. And actually, the the issue that you have, if, you, if I want to call it that, of having really intelligent, really high-performing technical people, is they, they want to work on the interesting problems. Yeah, <laughs> and the interesting problems aren't always the ones that get you the best value, or the ones that are needed right now. Is the other. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's an important one. I was teaching today at Barcelona University, and I was saying, when you when it was about project management, I was saying it's not necessary the best process to use agile and all this newer methodologies if the organization is not ready for it mm. ju just don't do it just go with the basic waterfall model and you will do a good project mm. you yeah. don't need to implement agile and scrum and all these kind of things if the organization is not ready for it don't do it yeah and uh, um, you've got to be you know fully agree because i think you know you can do things and you can do things in isolation a little bit But my experience has always been that if you try and run an agile pro uh, project and even uh, as much as you get up front that this is a collaborative piece of work, 
it's a um, you know it's an innovative piece of work that's so never been done before. You get the same questions, particularly from the the finance guys or the or the, um, uh, the senior managers. Is when's it going to be delivered, and uh, how much is it going to cost me? Uh, well, we don't know. Is the answer <laughs> we don't know because it's never been done before. We think you know we think we're going to we will come back to you in two weeks and show you where we're at. And we will move this forward and we will be endeavoring to, to drive whatever we can. Um, but we don't have the answers because it is innovation. It's not, it hasn't been done before. So if we, if we knew the solution, we'd just tell you, there you go, deliver. Waterfall method, great. But if you're developing a new technology or if you're developing a new process or a way of working, then um, there has to be a maturity of thinking that goes along with that. Um, or you have to be prepared to double up on your uh, comms efforts and your uh, your management effort to deal with the team in an agile way and then deal with the rest of the business as a waterfall project and it, it just i know from experience it can be uh taxing should we say yeah <laughs> i was about to say the same 100 <laughs> so if if we dig deeper into the people part so you already mentioned better decisions are enabled by data and information and insights and the people will kind of have the possibility to take better decisions. If we if we take it from a human performance perspective, maybe comparing it as well to the motorsport world, there's, at least until now, most of the time it's a human driving the car still. Mm. And that's still a big factor of the success as well. If yeah. you just look into Formula One, They're drivers who are on a different planet than others. Yeah. And even if, if we look back, I mean, I'm German, so Michael Schumacher is one of the, the favorites sorry? still. <laughs> <laughs> and he was even with, with a mediocre car, he was still better than others with a fast car. So yeah. how important is the human factor and wh what, what are the differences as well to make them perform better or us? Yeah, I mean, in, in in that level of, I mean, it's a sport. Absolutely. When it comes to um, F1, it, it's, and this is one of the essences of what they want to maintain throughout that is it, it is a sport and a driving sport. Um, and so to be a sport, uh, you have to have that element of human endeavor uh, that goes along with it. And there are other areas of, you know, you, of automation where you can see what's the best technical thing you can come up with. And, and there are, um series and, and and things that people do in order to to purely focus on that uh, technical uh, aspect but they're not as popular hmm. because people connect with people they connect with the um the endeavors that people have um the the struggles that they have the stories behind them the characters and the and the sort of charisma of the drivers um Well, if you go back to Nigel Mansell, not necessarily the, char the charisma of the guy, but uh, uh, but certainly the moustache. You've got to respect that. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is very much a case of um, in that world, it, it's the, well, the human in the loop we, we, we talked to about. It. You know, it's the – that person is not only um, vastly important to executing, but they play such a role in, in – to see behind the scenes in some of these environments, the role that the driver plays these days in terms of um, feedback and work on the car. You know, there was a, a recent um, 
podcast uh, with um, Lando Norris was on there talking about his role and his you know experiences in McLaren over the years, and he plays such an amazing role in terms of how he provides that feedback and debrief and input into the design in the first place, some of the ideas, some of the execution, and to work with the team to help him perform. And then his role is purely to make that happen in, in, mm. in the moment. Um, we'd also sometimes joke around the fact that uh, Fernando Alonso was one of the drivers when I was first with McLaren and uh, would say that the most expensive sensor that we had in the whole kit was uh, his backside. Because <laughs> what, what he felt through the driving process is something that we are yet to be able to replicate even with the most sophisticated models that are out there. Mm. So people are such complex and high-performing people in particular, such complex and uh, characters that have such amazing capabilities, not only to do what they do in the moment, but to mix everything together. The great performance uh, performers take their experiences from other sports, other environments, other things that they've done, and apply them differently in that uh, mix them together in a unique way that makes them perform. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if, if we, if we go to our level, <laughs> not, <Yeah. laughs> not being a professional sports person and people we work with, I think it's, it's, you see that as well. There are entrepreneurs who have just the, these, the, the finesse, they have it mm. automatically. They, they might not use all the data, but they have this, I don't know, they can smell it. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And, and there, there's, there's an element of instinct with, with some yeah. of these things. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, the history is written by the, the winners. And so you, you often see, you know, the things that you know, the instinctive moves that people make, uh, you don't see all the ones that fail. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a big part of um, the innovation world in particular, you know, but also any business, any entrepreneur, you know, the ability to, uh, to fail, And to um, you know, to fail fast, or, or those great terms, you know, learn fast, but however you want to positively put that, and yeah. um, you know, it, it it is a huge part of what needs to happen. Uh, I, I was just putting some uh, putting something up on the socials recently, just having some reflections. It was actually based off some of the results that uh, McLaren had over the weekend, as well as the England rugby team, who I'm a big fan of as well. Not getting the results that you wanted um, in in a certain situation. The, the debrief process and it's one of you know i always it was always a part of what i did in the early stages but the mclaren experience really cemented this the the importance and the rigor of always debriefing your performance um you know operationally i saw this happening a lot in you know, food manufacturing teams great at having a daily meeting mm. you know, or a shift meeting or even an hourly meeting what's my performance what am i going to do differently um Corporate environments, other things, not so great. Yeah. Uh, and project-based work as well. Again, not so great. Um, so I, I, I'm a firm believer that having a good debrief process and a, a good debrief practice, it doesn't have to be complicated either. Yeah. It's, it's the rigor over the compli uh, complexity. Yeah, what I like about this, because leaders we're all human. So it's, it's not always easy to say, Hey, the, you could be better. You could perform better. The tricky thing is if you wait half a year and then you tell a person, Hey, you could have performed better the last half years. Like, yeah, why didn't you tell me earlier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I exactly. think 
I, I agree. That's that's a big topic, and I just wrote it down for myself as well. Yeah, <laughs> as a good yeah. reminder because, yeah, it's not in in my practice as well. Sports wise, yes, I have a coach, and he he's kind of debriefing. It's like, hey, that was not really what you should have been doing. Mm. This kind of things, but this I agree. But also the bit, the other bit, I, I have a bee in my bonnet about this sometimes as well. And debrief process is that, uh, <laughs> um, the the focus it, it is so tempting. What didn't work? Yeah, what, what exactly. went wrong? But also, you've got to capture what went right. Mm. You know, why did it go right? We had such a great result today. What was what was happening? We almost got there. You know, what in, if you're doing an innovation project? We didn't quite get to where we are, but we've made this much pro uh, progress. Yeah. Well, you know, you could kick yourself in, in the teeth all day to say, you know, why did we not get there? But actually, what have we done to get where we are? We've made massive progress. What's been the driver behind that? And how can we learn from it, replicate it, accelerate it, and improve on it? Um, so I, I do always try to get people to focus on those positive sides as well. You know, what went well? Um, and I always think it's a good place to start. Well, because yeah. otherwise... If you go in, into a conversation about what went wrong, you know, you'll be you'll be finished your your, your hour long meeting before you know it. Everyone's got a, an opinion on what went wrong, uh, <laughs> but the capturing what went right tends to be uh, uh, slightly less time consuming. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, but then as well, I, what I'm a big fan of documenting things, which then allows you to build data sets, which allows you to build insights. As well, when you look backwards, mm. because then you know, okay, we did this this way, and this is how it worked. Let's figure out if it next time, if we stick to the same way of doing it, if it works again, or yeah. if it was just by choice that it we have been lucky. Because then over time, you figure out, oh yes, it's really that's the way how we should do it. When I'm, I'm a big fan of cooking, and uh, my my style tends to be throw things together in terms of what I have <laughs> in front of me. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that works really well. And the the problem I always have is the the, uh, the wife and the kids will say, "Oh, it was brilliant! You know, what, what did you do differently?" I would do a pizza <laughs> night every Saturday, and I'll, I made some great pizza over the weekend. And they're like, "What did you do differently?" It's like, I don't really know. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was just in the moment. Enjoy. I, I like to relax through cooking, so I, I don't really spend that much time focusing on exactly what I'm doing. I just get on with with what's what. But um, yeah, if I want to replicate that performance. I've, yeah, I've got to be a bit more serious about um, how I measure what's going in. Yeah, but there are as well <laughs> situations in life where you can just be in the zone, where it's not too much about... <laughs> There's no such thing as bad pizza anyway. Exactly, <laughs> especially if it's it's served with a beer. <laughs> Most certainly. Let's, let's get into the last part of the podcast where I'm asking always a couple of questions that are not too much related to our conversation until now if you could run a project or be part of a project that's impacting every human being on earth what mm. project would you choose to work with and why <laughs> very easy this. one i know yeah i know because uh, I've, I've listened to, to some of your back episodes and I, I knew this was coming so i'm i'm been racking my brains and uh two things have, uh, have come to mind really one is a project that or a company that I do work uh, work with and have the pleasure of uh, delivering some of their content with it, the focus on leadership development and um, the term they use is democratizing leadership. You know, mm -hmm. Everybody uh, historically getting leadership performance development 
has always been the the reach of the great and the good. You know, it's the C-suite, it's the exec teams. You know, it's lots of money, lots of away days and things like that. And these guys are doing great work in terms of bringing that to the masses. How do you develop um, leadership capabilities in an accessible way, um, working with support and technologies, but fundamentally with the people that, that, that are there? Uh, so it's a group in, in New Zealand that I've been working with um, uh, over the last couple of years, um, Jumpshift, who do the leadership development, and their, their adaption is a, is, is a great one to, to support that. So that's one area that I'm, I'm lucky enough to be involved with, um, and they're going from strength to strength. Um, the other side uh, that's sort of really personal to me is I've got uh, a lot of close connections with um, disability, so uh, disability in the family, uh, close family friends, things like that. Um, but I've, I've seen it from the perspective of how people are overlooked, and, the, and but also some of the positive elements of how people are now using that sort of diversity the sort of neurodiverse, the um, you know, in different capabilities that people bring, and really helping to focus away from disability to ability, and and how do you make that happen? How do I, you know, um, how do I just change the environment or change the process in a slightly different way? So I, I'd love to spend more time on that subject in the future as to how can we make a difference in um across the, the whole of uh, you know the whole of mankind and something that might be a bit ambitious but uh, you know you got to have an ambition um because you know i think it's 20 odd percent of people have a, a disability of some sort you know so it's a it's a huge untapped potential uh, that's often been overlooked and i think we're making some great strides to um to push for for better uh from people not only for people but expect more from people as well um, and enable people to do that as well. Mm. So, and those would be the two, <laughs> two little uh, leadership for all, and uh, and get the best out of the uh, everybody's abilities. Small projects. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that on the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's performance. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> so, next question: How do you keep yourself up to date on topics that interest you? Um, I listen to podcasts. That's probably over the last couple of years in particular, I've really, really got into uh, podcasts as a, as a medium for helping, uh, like yourself, just lots of different views on a particular topic. Um, I think that those are great and, and just getting some different, um, different topics that are in there, you know, I wouldn't traditionally have been involved in innovation, but you know, as soon as you start listening to things, oh, there's such crossover that there goes along with, with it. Um, I've got some great networks and some great people who've set up sort of um, communities of practice and networks for, for people like uh, uh, local solopreneurs, as we call them. So a, a good friend of mine, Faris, has uh, set up a great network that helps um, get people together and start to realize just how much crossover we have and how much we can, we can do. And I, you know, I recognize what I'm good at and what other people are good at. And I go to people who I know are great curators. I've got lucky enough to have some people who I know um, spend a lot more time researching and reading than I can currently commit mm -hmm. to. Um, and I really value their opinion. Um, and so when I see that those people are reposting something, that will aid me towards something. So I, I do 
LinkedIn is a good connection way and uh, and other socials. Yeah. From a podcast perspective, quick follow-up question. How many podcasts are in your weekly feed or let's say bi-weekly at least? Is it um, five, two? It's, it's probably probably close to five, you know, and a mix of um, both industry stuff. And I, I, love a, I love a laugh, so I, I listen to a lot of comedy stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's th those areas that um, don't always seem like natural fits, but, you know, they, it'll always spark something off in my mind. Yeah, love that. Where do you see yourself in a year from now? And you can answer that personal or business-wise, or both. Uh, um, uh, somewhere that I didn't expect to be. I think would be the uh, <laughs> that's an uh, easy one for an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, I think the um, uh, I've been surprised at some of the the work that I've I've taken on recently. That you know there weren't weren't necessarily things that I would naturally gravitate to, but I found myself you know through the conversations and through the work I'm doing supporting others as well. It's um, uh, you know, going into things like public sector and, um, and other areas that I've haven't had that much experience from, um, and I'd love to. Uh, be seeing how I can apply the thinking that has got great results in one area and applying that to somewhere completely different. Mm. I, I do, I'm a firm believer that, you know, it's the principles that count. It's not the, the application. Yeah. Agree. Love it. How can people reach out to you and where can people find you? Um, so I guess LinkedIn is probably the uh, the key one. Yeah, that's where I um, do most of my uh, sort of push out the videos and, and content a um, little bit that I'm starting to get more and more into and start to push myself on that front. Um, I've you know the website is just paulteasdale.co.uk. Uh, you find out some more information there, and, and my contact details are all through there. So um, I'm on um, the socials. I'm not the uh, the world's best at that yet, and I'm trying to work my game in that space. Um, <laughs> But yeah, LinkedIn and the website is probably the best two ways. Super. Paul, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. And looking forward to see how you help people to perform. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jens. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.